when I talk to executives, when I question their incident response plan, I ask, do you have an incident response team? Are you part of that team? Do you know what is the first thing you should or should not do when you suddenly see something is off in your network? Uh, not everyone could give me a valid and confident response in that sense. Hi again, and welcome to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. This week, we have with us again, IMD Professor Oiku Ishik. She's a professor of digital strategy and cybersecurity at IMD. We're discussing cybersecurity this week. Welcome, Oiku. Thank you. Great to be back. And so last week on the show, we discussed the what. What is cybersecurity? Who's involved in this? and when and why companies should be getting involved uh, with bringing it in. The history, a little bit of the background. Now I want to get really practical. Talk about the how. How do you bring cybersecurity into the workplace? And why does it matter that executives get involved in this process? So let's start with a pretty straightforward question about the kind of businesses that stand to benefit most from focusing on cybersecurity. Is there a particular type of business that is most suited, that needs to do this and benefits the most from this? I think now that almost everyone is talking about digital transformation, right, Joe, this is, this is indeed the topic of the last decade even. So any organization that is using digital means either to communicate with customers or just to automate their processes just simply have to invest the right amount, let's say, in cybersecurity. So for most organizations, they may think that there's an absolute minimum that they have to cover from a simple security maturity perspective. But of course, if your core business is security, then the expectations of your customers from preparedness perspective will be much higher for you as an organization. But any organization needs to think about some core cybersecurity processes that we have in the organization. This is about the ability to have to detect and assess what kind of assets you have in the organization, right? So the overview of the digital assets in the organization, the ability to protect these assets in terms of preventing something going wrong. So that would mean detecting an attack, protecting through applications like firewalls, for example, or your usual antivirus and malware applications. But on top of that, we also should have the ability to recover when something goes wrong. So do I have backups? Do I have the processes in place to go fall back on those backups and rebuild my systems, for example? as well as the ability to respond to an attack. And here, processes such as incident response plans would come into picture, right? How do I behave as a core team in the organization? Who would I bring in when something goes wrong? Do I have an incident management team or do I have to call an external party, for instance? So there are these kind of core cybersecurity processes that every organization must invest some time in thinking and building and, if necessary, supplementing with uh, software applications. There are so many questions that I have from just that short answer, you know, about internal versus external questions about, you know, the kind of active versus passive role that, that companies can play in cybersecurity. But before we go on to those, 
I just wanted to ask about the difference between B2C and B2B companies. Is this more of a priority for B2C companies? Because, you know, the big cybersecurity breaches that people generally hear of, you know, people when there's a, a big media storm around a company breach are so often about the, you know, 10,000 customers, 100,000 customers, 1 million customers have had their personal data stolen. Do you think that this is a bigger issue? Is it something that is more important for B2C companies or is it just as important for B2B? John, you know, I don't think that is the case. Uh, when you think about the most visible cases of the last few years, of course there are B2Cs, right? Think about the hospitals that fall victim to so many ransomware incidents. Or I remember the story of Red Cross from not even a year now. Red Cross is very sensitive refugee database has been breached and we still don't know who did that and why as there was no demand for ransom. So there are definitely very high profile incidents that directly impact individuals. But if you think of the Colonial Pipeline case, if you think of Solar Winds case or Kaseya case, which are two very interesting cases because these are cloud service providers. These are security management service providers that got breached and they are B2C organizations, but huge, huge number of clients and customers, right? So I think it has more to do with the profile of the organization. The direct implication of a B2C breach is, of course, most of the time, identity theft. Because what happens with the breach data, let's say sensitive information, personally identifiable information of individuals, our names, addresses, phone numbers, national IDs, credit card numbers, what have you. These often later on is traced back on the dark web criminal forums being sold to other criminal parties who then use this for, let's say, fake credit card applications or fake purchases and etc. Right. So that kind of identity theft and bank fraud is the immediate implication. And of course, when you have millions of people impacted, the aftermath is pretty problematic for the organization because there are so many lawsuits typically going on. For B2C cases, the implications is actually other organizations being breached, right? In the case of these cloud service providers in both SolarWinds and Kaseya, what had happened was the update server of this cloud service provider was impacted and every time an update file was released, a malicious software along with it was implemented and installed in all the client organizations of this cloud service provider. So essentially by hacking into one cloud service provider, the threat actor effectively hacked into hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of organizations. So that is as impactful if you think about it, not just from a personal data perspective, but from an intellectual property, confidential business data perspective as well. You were speaking earlier about the kind of ways companies deal with cybersecurity threats. You were talking about active versus passive, and you were talking about internal and external help. You know, it's very clear from your last answer that this B2C, B2B distinction is no such distinction at all in the sense that this is a disparate threat. This is a threat that can uh, multiply itself once within any business. You know, just talking about the kind of practicalities of this, you know, the, the thing that really strikes me when you're speaking about this is just how sensitive information is and how important uh, it is to keep that information private. 
you know, based on that, is there a, a concern about outsourcing cybersecurity? And, and can you talk to me a little bit about what you need to consider before outsourcing your cybersecurity? That is such a timely and critical question, John, because there is that there are multiple factors that feed into that kind of decision in any organization. You know, in the industry in general, we do talk about and observe a lack of talent. And I'm kind of putting this in quotes because as the digital transformation ensues, as more and more organizations are actually realizing, let's say, the need to invest in this more, we do see an increased demand in cybersecurity talent in organizations. Now, we do see from an educational perspective, we, we do have a lot of degree programs being open to kind of cover up for that. At the same time, we also have a lot of certifications that allow an individual, let's say, with an engineering background to kind of uh, nicely get into or get started within the cybersecurity field through these certification programs. So there are multiple valid ways to get started in this, but nonetheless, we do still have this shortage simply because there's too much demand and need in organizations. So that is one factor, whether they like it or not, that organizations need to take into consideration when they are deciding to outsource or let's say insource their cybersecurity capabilities. Most organizations, for example, don't have, and quite frankly, may not need to invest in a big team of cybersecurity that includes, let's say, people focusing on defense versus people focusing on offense. So in a, a minute ago, you talked about active versus passive cybersecurity, right? Most organizations that are, that are significantly relying on digital as a form of let's say, business, let's talk about financial services organizations, digital native organizations, most of the time they do have a blue team and a red team at the minimum. A red team is a very much offensive team that focuses on active security. They try to find the weaknesses before threat actors do so that the blue team can fix that. Blue team is more of a defensive, passive security where they focus on prevention, they focus on protection, they focus on filling the vulnerabilities, patching the vulnerabilities. Most organizations don't have the budget to invest and create these two different types of teams. They have individuals who are kind of carrying both hats. So in the moment of an incident, for example, they end up hiring from the external world what we call a digital forensics team. Digital forensics teams are the ones, if you will, come in and investigate the digital crime scene. They are there to collect the breadcrumbs in an effort to understand, okay, we do see, let's say again, to give the example of ransomware. So there is this ransomware, which strain is this? Do we know this type of ransomware? Do we know which threat actor this version is mostly affiliated with? Do we know in this organization's network environment, which vulnerability did they take advantage of to be able to install and, and activate this ransomware, et cetera, et cetera. So really understanding how did this all start so that it can be fixed so that this doesn't happen again, right? Most organizations don't have this capability in-house 
So they do end up hiring it from external service providers, which in my opinion is indeed the right thing to do because there are maybe other processes they prefer rightfully investing in more in terms of cybersecurity before they jump to hiring a high level of expertise in incident response. So what should executives look for? I mean, we're talking about people who might be very successful in the boardroom, but it's in all likelihood the case that they haven't uh, you know, gotten to their position by being entirely focused on the cybersecurity within their organization. What do they need to look out for? What's the kind of checklist that you would be looking through? Yeah, that's uh, exactly where do we start from, right? I always talk about the importance of understanding your own cyber threat landscape. So when I say cyber threat landscape, what I refer to is the understanding of your own internal vulnerabilities. So what are your weaknesses as an organization? And also your an understanding of what is going on out there, right? So what is, to the best of our knowledge, what kind of threat actors are active in my industry, in my geography? Because we know that we do observe some, some, some differences uh, in terms of industry and geography. And what kind of assets do I have that I should worry most about? So once you know your own weaknesses and the type of threats that you should expect, then you can focus on prioritization. Because we are at a stage where organizations are coming to the realization that, you know, I cannot do it all. I only have limited resources, right? I have limited money. I have limited bandwidth. I have limited number of employees who can do this. So I need to prioritize. I mean, I need to accept the fact that I cannot prevent everything. There is no 100% secure system. There, there are just different, different levels of risk and there is our risk appetite. So I need to understand what kind of risks that I just have to mitigate and what kind of risks I'm willing to live with, right? And understanding the most, let's say, common type of attacks that you observe in your industry, in your competitors and etc. So that threat intelligence really help organizations in that prioritization. Because if we don't do that, it will be just a random, I guess we would just go after patching the first vulnerability we find, but we need to do it in a very mindful manner and say, what is the most important thing for me to protect? And maybe then I focus my resources and time on, on protecting that and, and kind of live with other, hopefully less major risks that I have observed in my environment. But we just need to go through this constant evaluation and re-evaluation of risks in our environment so that we actually very mindfully use our resources. I think that's where any executive should start from. So Oiku, we're going to come back to some of the pitfalls of cybersecurity strategies in episode three, but I, I just kind of wanted to land on that final thing you were talking about there, which is that sense of mindfulness. And it, and it leads me to think about the kind of positive attributes of executives that you see. You know, you're an expert in this field, you train executives all the time to deal with cybersecurity threats. And I was wondering if there's anything that's a through line between uh, people who are successful as executives in dealing with this, both as an executive who decides on the strategy themselves, but also as somebody that imbues a sense of awareness in people below them. What are the things that executives need to do and what are the things you see as commonalities between people who are successful in this area? Thank you, John. That's a, that's a great question. So interesting, actually. Uh, uh, and I think two things immediately jumped to my mind. One 
is what we call the assume breach mentality. So remember, we talked about these core processes, right? Any organization needs to invest in. What we do observe today is that organizations kind of tend to focus more on protection and prevention today than some of the other processes. And typically, this manifests itself by heavy investment in technology, in hardware and software solutions, which is very expensive, right? So then an organization might end up having four to five different layers of protection in their network, you know, software for this, software for that, this or that. But when a hacker ends up finding a valid username and password, they just breeze right through all those four to five layers because, you know, they are accessing the network in a very valid manner. Nobody knows that they're a malicious actor. They have access to a valid employee username and password. Then suddenly all those uh, system implementations that you have done cannot serve their purpose, right? Because then you have an attacker posing as an employee. So the second thing after the assumed breach mindset is also the focus on other key aspects than prevention investments. And what are these other aspects, right? It especially response and recovery capabilities in the organization. When I talk to executives, when I question their incident response plan, I ask, do you have an incident response team? Are you part of that team? Do you know what is the first thing you should or should not do when you suddenly see something is off in your network? Uh, Not everyone could give me a valid and confident response in that sense. And definitely even a smaller group of individuals could confidently say, yes, We know our recovery capabilities, our backups are renewed every three days, and we have actually practiced. We know that it takes us five business days to fully rebuild our system from our backups. So this, uh, knowing this is super important because it does give you confidence in that moment of an attack or a breach. It gives you the confidence to say, you know, we've been through this, we exercise this, so we ignore, we immediately start rebuilding our systems from, let's say, whatever the attack might be, and we know how we respond to the situation, we know whether we need to call the data protection authorities or not, and we already have templates to ease the communication pain in this very high-stress environment. Not many organizations can say this. Right. Even if they have an incident response plan, I have heard stories of organizations failing in the recovery phase because something, for instance, goes wrong with their backups. They've never practiced building from their backups. And this is also a very technically complicated process that can go wrong. Right. So we also need to focus on our ability to recover and our ability to respond to different types of attacks that are out there. So it's not just about making investments from from a technology perspective, but investment in the process perspective in the organization. Okay, I think it's so interesting uh, what you're saying there, because I imagine for most executives, uh, they would understand that uh, it would not be an acceptable situation, let's say in in a physical working environment, to never have a fire drill. And yet what you're saying to me is that 
many businesses never have that equivalent in their digital workspace, even though that's where most people are living online, particularly since the pandemic. Work lives are lived in a digital space. Companies that you're encountering are not having these digital fire drills, and that's leading to issues. So what I'm taking from this is that executives who are successful in this space, they are bringing those uh, kind of best practices in terms of recovery in, and they also have this, what you called the mindset Yes, it's the assume breach mindset, which basically recognizes that there is a growing amount of threats out there. There's a growing amount of vulnerabilities due to digital transformation out there and that a breach is imminent. There is no 100% secure system. So a breach sooner or later will happen to any organization. Absolutely. Oiku, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, John. Next week, we're going to be looking at how to stay ahead of the attackers and the pitfalls of cybersecurity. What can go wrong if you don't consider it in time or to give it the uh, attention it deserves. Uh, Oiki, thank you for being with us and we'll see you all again next week on MatchmentCast. You've been listening to the Management Cast from IMD. For more to read, you can go to iBarIMD online, which offers exclusive business intelligence and interviews with the brightest minds in the industry, written by experts for experts.